0: This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports.
1: Today, I want to be part of it, New York, New York. It just might be the greatest sports franchise in
0: the history of sports, a place where legends are made, and there's always something to talk about. Get ready to immerse yourself in pinstripes. Start spreading the news, hosted by Paul Semendinger and E.J. Fagan, a couple of doctors with a prescription for Yankee Fever. And now, here's Dr. Paul Semendinger and Dr. EJ Fagan.
1: Get ready to start spreading the news. All right, hey, that's not EJ Fagan. That is our guest host tonight, the wonderful and terrific Michael Whiteman, writer for Start Spreading the News. And even though there are two doctors in the house or one today, we are not medical doctors. Mike who deals in medical insurance is the closest to the medical field out of any of us. So, hey, Mike, welcome to the Start Spreading the News show. Thanks for coming in. And as you can hear, I probably need a doctor. I actually I feel great. It's just that I'm losing my voice. How are things? Things are well. Have a you, Paul? Uh, except for the fact that I'm losing my voice, we we may break into some uh, Godfather, Uncle Tintin to my boy, because that might be an easier way for me to talk. Things are great right now. Yankees are winning four to one. They're on fire. Uh, they just took three out of four against the Chicago White Sox. And why don't we begin there, Mike? Tell me your impressions of the Yankees overall and. A little bit about what you think about the Yankees and that recent White Sox series where they took three out of four. Well,
0: anytime you win three out of four, you know, that's that's a pretty good series. Seven fifty ball is seven fifty ball. The series had a little bit of everything. Uh, had uh, good pitching, good hitting. Uh, just a myriad. You know, it went from you know the explosive offense. From the games you know, Thursday to Friday, um, yeah. then the bats kind of came up a little bit short uh, Saturday and Sunday. Though Sunday, uh, when your pitcher is uh, Nestor Cortez and pitching as well as he is, uh, you don't have to have your A game at the plate. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I thought it was it was a great series. The White Sox aren't playing great right now,
1: but they're still a pretty darn good team
0: is on the road, yeah, a lot of people and, um, picked
1: them to win the uh, American League Central. Yeah, I think so. and it was interesting. And you so see- um, and- right, the uh, first game the Yankees mm-hmm.
0: yeah. and and you saw some some guys coming on who we've been waiting on. you know look you know, i I took some notes beforehand, you know, Joey Gallo, um, you know, we've been waiting on him. Uh, he had a couple of homers and four walks. That's exactly what you want. Joey Gallo, uh, Josh Donaldson had a couple homers and that's on top of the great performances we got from Stanton and from judge. So it it was, it was just overall, I think a good series.
1: I do too. And I apologize. I think there's a little bit of a delay in, in the way we're communicating. So I think I talked over to you a couple of times there. If, if, if at least it seemed like that on your end, it was definitely like that on my end. And I apologize. Um, So, yeah, in those first two games, the Yankees scored 25 runs. They won 15 to seven, then they won 10 to four. Listen, you're going to lose ball games. Everybody loses games. They didn't get killed on that Saturday day. They lost three to two. They were right in it to the very end. And then they come back and they win five to one. And and as you say, it was nice to see Joey Gallo hitting a big home run there to uh, make the game from three to one to five to one. So let me just say some players and, and just give me your impressions. Like, are they for real? Is this, are they going to get better? Is this the real, is this the real player? Or um, are we going to pinch ourselves in the morning and and it's all going to be a mirage? So Joey Gallo, he's actually turned it around or so it seems. Tell us, tell us what you think about Joey Gallo.
0: Yeah. um, I think Gallo really has a chance to be a decent player as a Yankee. And I think we just, if we can keep our expectations of Gallo realistic, I think he can do very well. If we're expecting Gallo to be in the middle of the lineup, uh, then I think he is being misplaced. I think if you can put him batting seventh, uh, playing good defense, uh, hits 30 home runs, walks a hundred times, I think that's real good performance out of that spot in the lineup. You're going to have some works with him. You're going to have the strikeouts and you're going to have the low batting average. But if he keeps doing
1: what he's been doing lately, then I think he'll be just fine. I do too. In the beginning of the year, that's what I wanted to see him as a number seven batter. I thought, I think that's a good place for him. He's got power. He makes the manager on the other team have to think because you don't just want to have a right-hander out there late in the game against Joey Gallo. So he's going to force movement moves to be made. And, you know, if the pitcher makes a mistake, he's going to run into it. And, again, I I, I think you're right. If he hits 30 home runs and he walks 100 times, that's, that's terrific out of that spot. Absolutely. All right, next name, Nestor. Now, they call him uh, Nasty Nestor, but I like calling him Nifty Nestor. Ethan Mm -hmm. doesn't like it when I say that. My son, who also writes for Start Spread in the news, Dad, it's not Nifty Nestor; it's Nasty Nestor. But I like Nifty Nestor. What do what do what are you seeing with this guy? How is he doing this?
0: Yeah, if if you're just looking at substance, and and you know you're looking, and he he has just done so well. His earned run average—I think he's got the best earned run average in the American League, um, second in all of baseball. Uh, he's, if, if you watch his stuff and you watch his mannerisms and in terms of style, you know, this is going to age me, but he reminds me of a uh, Louis Tion. And uh, yeah, I remember seeing the end of a Tion's career. Um, but I, right now he's the Yankee ace. Uh, you know, he is, he is the guy now, will he be the ace in June, July, August? You know, maybe not. But yeah, you know, right now he is the Yankees' best starter. He's giving them
1: performance, and he's giving them distance, and he's giving them uh, uh what do we want to say, entertainment value. He's he's mm-hmm. just fun to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I nothing against Garrett Cole. I, I I'm glad that Garrett Cole's a Yankee. Um, I don't know if I I really would say, oh, I have to turn on the TV because Garrett Cole is pitching. That's must see TV. But when Nestor Cortez pitches, you're like, you know what? I think I've got to watch this game. He's fun, mm-hmm. different arm angles, different windups, the hesitation. And I don't know. Is, do, you, do you have the same feeling there? Is, is Nestor Cortez must watch TV right now? He is certainly
0: entertaining to
1: watch, and he is fun. And, you know, we've
0: talked about it, you know, personally we have talked about it on the blog. You know, the Yankees haven't always been that much fun of, you know, of the past couple of years, but he adds a fun factor. And now uh, you don't want fun at the expense, at the expense of performance, but he's fun and he's performing. And that's just the best case scenario. So yeah, he yeah, is, a, yeah, he is, he is kind of must see TV right now.
1: I, I, I absolutely feel that way. And I love the uh, comparison to Louis Tion. You know, I think I was saying on the show a couple of weeks ago, Louis Tion, I think, is, I know, but I think he might be the only one who twice in his career had an ERA under two in the modern era. In mm. 68, he did it, and I believe, again, he did it in uh, in 1972, both years in the ERA under two. And um, we're getting a comment here that he reminds um, the Northeast streaming sports technology guy in the background there, um, that he reminds him of El Duque, and that's true, mm. too, a guy who made it up as he went along. And yeah. and you know what that makes it fun. Hey, tell me your impressions of Josh Donaldson, the new third baseman. What do you think of uh, Josh? You know, yeah,
0: he, he's he has had kind of a slow start. The interesting um, but you know, seems to be coming on. The thing I like about Donaldson is he seems to be a leader, and it, you know, just kind of looking at him, you know, when he hits, he comes into the dugout. And I'm just looking at this from watching on TV, so I don't know the intricacies. Uh, but he seems well liked. Uh, he seems to he seems to command respect. Uh, he is a veteran, a former MVP, uh, has a bit of a reputation as as you know being a bit of a rebel rouser. Maybe I don't know. I'm not sure that's that's the best term. But I mean, he is he is pretty high, you know, um, you know pretty high energy, pretty um, intense, and uh, that's that's something that doesn't hurt this team. So I've I've been pleased, I've been pleased with
1: what he has brought the team. Mike, you said that the Yankees have been boring the last number of years, which I concur with a hundred percent. And I think a guy like Josh Donaldson, you're right, is a leader. He lights a fire under players, and that becomes fun. It's fun to watch teams that have lots of energy. I think in. Uh, recent years, the Yankees seem to lack that energy. They lack to see the, that that competitive fire, that that desire to just go out there and play hard and win. And it seems like that's what they're doing this year. And maybe it's guys like Josh Donaldson um, who just brings that extra edge to make the game fun and exciting and, and to rile his teammates up. And they say, I'm a winner. I've won before. This is what you need to do to win. So let's let me ask you about one other guy. Michael King, and then we're going to use him as a segue to our next segment. What do you think okay. of Michael King?
0: Michael King—he has just been—he is—he has just been a revelation. He's been a great find. Uh, we knew he was a good pitcher. Uh, he had showed some flashes of being a good pitcher last year, um, but you know what he has done this year has been just off the charts. I think he—he did, uh, he did kind of struggle with his uh, last outing out, but all in all, he is really been very good he has come into some tight spots and that first and I I just think back to that to that uh first performance when he came in after Chapman I believe walked the bases loaded and he got out of it and he was helped out with some good defense but he was not intimidated by the situation he came in he just started chucking strikes and you know I and you know, as as we talk about the uh, next segue and you know thinking about bullpens, I and and this is very early. This is you know this is May, and I might be be speaking too soon, but I remember i um, another young pitcher who seemingly came out of nowhere, made a big impact in long relief, and of course that uh, and that fellow was Mariano Rivera back in 1996. Now I'm not saying That's that a he great is comparison. Rivera but you know similar um, emergence you know from from a from a
1: I don't want to say a failed starter but a but a starter moved to the bullpen. EJ and I talked about this a uh, number of weeks ago too. The Yankees had a couple guys, um... You know, Jabba Chamberlain a long time ago, who they they wanted to make, uh, who was a starting pitcher. They brought him in. He was a dominant reliever. They moved him back to the rotation. That didn't work, obviously. Phil Hughes, they tried as a starting pitcher. Wasn't great. His best year really was the year he pitched out of the bullpen and was lights out. So let's fast forward to the end of the year. The Yankees need another starting pitcher. Um, we're just making this up where I'm I'm making an argument. I want to see you are now, uh, Brian Cashman's number one advisor and Michael King pitched the whole year like he did this year. And Cashman has a chance to go out and get a solid starting pitcher, whoever it might be. Or he says, Mike, would you just move Michael King into the rotation or do you keep him in the bullpen? What do you think? I think if King continues to pitch with the same
0: impact as he has thus far, I think he'd keep him in the bullpen. I, I, I I, I, you. Like you said, I, 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 uh, the history of the Yanks, yo-yoing folks between the uh, pen and the rotation has not been good, uh, but I think I he'd think keep him in the pen. You know th- There is something about someone who goes into the bullpen and has that mindset and that and that bulldog mentality and king has that king has that now king has said himself that he wishes that he could start um but i don't know like a lot of relievers who i've heard who have said yes i want to be a uh, um reliever but you know but that's where they end up and end up doing well so
1: i i would encourage Chapman. i mean uh, cashman to look for a starter that's what i would do as well you know you and I both enjoy a wonderful dice baseball game called Stratomatic. Here's a Zach Britton card.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. And, you know, on the back of the cards, they've always put statistics. And so, you know, we've both been playing this game since our childhoods. And, you know, they put up the player's ERA. And I learned on very early on that, you know, even if a guy's a low ERA, that doesn't mean he's a very good pitcher based upon – a card that's supposed to replicate a season because the ERA is just how many runs he gave up, but the card can't predict that mm-hmm. the card can only predict how many guys get on base. And then they came up with that statistic whip, of course, walks and plus hits uh, per inning pitch. And Michael King's whip is 0.93, which means he allows so far all season fewer than one batter to get on base every inning. And that's really the statistic I think that matters most for pitchers. If you're not letting guys on base, obviously, you're, you're going to be much more effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're doing your job. I mean, that's, you know, get people out. Yeah, that's your job. That's correct. So, as you know, the Yankees, now listen, we're spoiled. We're Yankee fans. We're spoiled. I have always been on record saying I want the Yankees to have the highest payroll. If there's a great player, I want the Yankees to get them by and large like Bryce Harper I wanted him bad. And when the Yankees are not doing well and he is doing well, you you probably find that I'm writing articles saying like Yankees could have had this guy, MVP, he should be a Yankee, he was tailor made for the Yankees. And there's always guys like that that I always want the Yankees to get. Not all those deals ever work out either. Like the Yankees have been smart to avoid some of these other players that I probably would have advocated for. But we live in the age where the Yankees have a budget. And again, we're spoiled because the budget I think it's $250 million. I think the Yankees have the third highest payroll in baseball and Yankee fans like me sometimes complain that they didn't get player X or Y, but they still have this tremendously high payroll. But a lot of that money is going to a Chapman, who's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. And, The one thing, even in the boring years, if you will, these last number of years that the Yankees have been able to do is put together a really great bullpen, often of guys' names who we've never heard of until they become great Yankee relief pitchers. Chad Green, Jonathan Jonathan Loisica, Michael King. You know, these aren't big name guys until they become big name guys pitching out of the Yankee bullpen. So once again, you're now um, Brian Cashman's advisor. And Chapman, I don't think he'll stay or stick around next year. I don't think the Yankees are going to offer him an extension or uh, give him another contract. But there probably will be an opportunity to get other big-name relief pitchers. If you're a baseball team, or especially the Yankees, is getting a closer the most important or the, the best way to spend your money – Do you think, I mean, because some people say that, like you need to have somebody who can actually close games. The idea of just putting somebody with good stats into the ninth inning doesn't work because as you were saying before, maybe you need that bulldog mentality. So do you need to invest heavily in a big time closer? Or do you think the Yankees in 2023 can save some money by just keep on keeping on with all these guys out of the bullpen who seem to perform year in and year out? What what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, Two of my favorite Yankee pitchers of the past 20 years or so were David Robertson and Mariana Rivera, both of whom were young Yankee pitchers who worked up from middle relief into a closer role. I don't think you have to go out and get that free agent. Now, certainly if there's someone out there, I don't have an issue with them paying for that, but Relief pitching is just is just really a tightrope of a um, profession. So few folks, if you sign for a four or five year contract, stay in that role for those four and five years and perform well. And you know, Ch- Chapman to me, you know, I, I, you know, he, uh, he. Uh, he kind of scares me sometimes. Uh, I think he lives on the edge, especially this year. I think he he throws the sot the slider a little too much, and I think he walks too many guys. But the Yanks have actually gotten pretty good value for him um, during uh, during his uh, tenure in New York. I think about the only time he really had to be removed from the closer role was for a while there last year, and then he came back. So, but so many of the other uh, um, relievers you hear about, uh, they're signed for a big contract, and they maybe have a year or two a good season, and then they struggle, and then they're out of the role. Um, so, I I am not a thinking that you have to put that money into a, a large free agent closure. I um I think there is a more efficient way to spend your money, and and frankly I think that for next year I'd be interested in seeing the Yanks stay internal with a closer. You can, you can almost always deal for a closer at the trade deadline. Almost always deal for um, relief pitching.
1: Yeah. So Mike, you and I are agreeing a lot. I, I I just think uh, market inefficiency right now trying to spend big money on a, on a closer, especially when the Yankees seem to have this magical ability to find these kids and put them in the bullpen, and they rise to the occasion year in and year out. Now, some of them, again, were prospects. Uh, some of them maybe were failed starters, if you will. But I, I don't think most teams have this kind of long-term success with guys coming out of the bullpen. Yankees haven't had a lot of success or as much success with starting pitchers. But with guys coming out of the bullpen, they seem to be able to figure it out. And if you can figure it out and save tens of millions of dollars, well, it seems like The smart thing to do, right? And then he could invest that money elsewhere. Absolutely. Speaking of big money, Robbie Cano is Mm -hmm. now a San Diego Padre. And Robbie Cano uh turned down a big contract with the Yankees to get a bigger contract with the Seattle Mariners. Now, for the record, if I were Robbie Cano, I probably would have done the same thing. The Mariners offered him a ton more money and I think a couple more years. But and he had some great years out in Seattle, but then he was traded to the Mets. He's had a couple of problems with PEDs and suspensions and things like that. Now the Mets cut him and now he's in San Diego. And listen, I I, I'm never going to be a person who says you should have less money. You're not worth this amount of money. Robbie Kano Didn't make anybody pay him. The Seattle Mariners willingly said, we're going to give you this money. Hey, if they're going to offer it to you, take it. Mm -hmm. Um, so so I, I don't believe no person is worth that much money. Obviously, people are worth that much money or they wouldn't pay him. It's money I can't understand, but he got the money. But at some point, I wonder if when the darkness hits in the middle of the night and he's just alone with his thoughts, if Robbie Cano would want to do it differently and if he would have wanted to foretell that extra millions and millions to stay a Yankee forever. What What do you think? What do you think goes through Robbie Kano's head? Is he happy he has all that extra money, or do you think, in retrospect, he's like, mm, should have stayed with the Yanks?
0: Yeah, you know, I I uh, took a look at Kano's career up until he left the Yankees, and at the end of 2013, uh, he was he was 30 years old, had 1649 hits. Uh, lifetime batting average at that point 309 at a world series ring six time all-star he was headed towards monument park and had he continued with the performance so uh you figure he had three more really good years in seattle had he had those three really good years in new york it would probably been even better because of yankee stadium as as opposed to playing in uh, seattle he really could have been looking towards the uh, hall of fame. And I don't know if that is important to him, but yeah, that's, that's the thing. Uh, When I think about, Cano, I think when he left the Yankees and I thought this, when he left, I thought that he, that he really, his chances of getting the hall of fame were, you know, really were reduced. he, He could have been a Yankee legend. And one thing you say is that, you know, we can't understand that type of money. It's easy for me to sit back here at my desk and say, well, I'd have taken $175 million at the Yankees and, and, you know, clipped some coupons. Um, But then I could have been in uh, Monument Park and uh, one of the great Yankees. But that's kind of the uh, the, uh, place that I go. With um Canel. All
1: right, and so uh we have a great question here. Aaron Judge is going to be in a similar situation at the end of the year. The Yankees, again, I feel made a great offer. Seven years, 30 and a half million dollars a year. That's a lot of money for Mm -hmm. a guy who's had a couple of great years, but he's had a couple of injury-riddled years. And you know, it's not the Yankees' fault that Aaron Judge blossomed later in his twenties and he becomes a free agent when he's into his thirties. And you know, that's just what sometimes happens. The world's not fair. Um, so let's say the Yankees at the end of the season judge has a monster year and the Yankees just hold firm. They're like, you know what? 30.5 million for seven years is very generous. And I don't know, name a team, the California angels or the Seattle Mariners or the Texas Rangers or somebody offers him something like, you know, 50 million more dollars in a couple extra years than the Yankees do. What do you think? Do you, if, if you're Aaron Judge, do you think he's going to take that money? And do you think that's then going to play out similarly to the career that we just saw with Robbie Cano, obviously minus the PEDs and things like that?
0: Yeah. I think a lot of it will hinge on if the Yankees win this year. Because I, I think there is no place to win like in, like in, um, in a Yankee stadium. And so I think if the Yankees win the series, I think judge has a little more consideration before he just leaves to go to Texas or to the angels or someone like that for the big money. Now, I don't think the Yankees can can count on that and I don't think they can get a big discount on that, but I would think that it would be really, really hard for somebody to win the World Series in New York and then leave to go to Texas. I just, And this isn't a criticism of uh, Texas, but I just think from my experience as a fan and what I hear from players, there's just nothing like winning the World Series in the pinstripe. And I would think that would be a really hard pull because, again, I think, if the Yankees win the series this year, Judge has about you know, two or three more years. And and we have to face it, but when you sign a guy to eight to nine years, you're not going to get eight to nine years of, of uh, top play. You're going to hopefully get about three to four really good years and hope they stay healthy enough to be somewhat productive afterwards. So I think if the Yankees win, Judge signs, he has a few more solid years. I think Judge goes to Monument Park. And that's yeah, you, and again, can, to me
1: sitting here, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. I agree a hundred percent. I think, I think the idea of having that legacy, that Yankee legacy is priceless and that's, mm-hmm. it's forever. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, if it's forever, if you have the legacy as a California angel or, or a Texas Ranger. Hey, here's, I just loaded this as you were talking. What if the team that offers him the big deal is the Houston Astros, and he goes and he plays alongside Jose Altuve. What does that do to to the reputation and the career of Aaron Judge? The way the fans in New York look at him.
0: Oh my, yeah, that would that that would be must see TV, Paul. You were talking must see TV earlier. Boy, his his a first series back
1: in Yankee Stadium. That's that is a must see TV. That would be a, that would be something. If I'm the Astros and the Yankees don't <laughs> sign him, I'm thinking. Boy, that would that would bring people into the stadium. No yeah, uh, doubt about it. Yes, that would. Yes, that would. You know, I'm just going to ask uh, in the background, are we going to be going to a commercial break? I think we usually go to a commercial break at the bottom of the hour. And maybe not. Okay. So, oh, yes, here it comes. Here's a commercial break, and we'll be right back.
0: The Hometown Foundation is excited to bring back the Dream Ride experience, August 26th to the 28th at Connecticut's Farmington Polo Club. Join us in celebrating the accomplishments of our Dream Riders while enjoying live music, a car and motorcycle show, family fun zone, pet adoptions, canine demonstrations, the Fireman's Chili Cook-Off, and much, much more. Get your tickets
1: today. Ah, That looks great. What a what a big event! There's also a big event coming in in June. You're going to hear lots more about it—a uh, fundraiser with lots of Northeast Streaming Sports personalities um, up in Connecticut. And so you'll you'll be hearing more about that coming up in a couple of weeks. But um, keep your eyes peeled for the big fundraiser—the uh, NE SSP fundraiser in that regard. All right, let's let's play a little game here, and we're going to do this backwards because normally accountants, up to the number one guy. Um, Mac, our producer, had this idea a couple weeks ago. He said, what if you had to pick the top five Yankees over the course of the Yankees history at each position? And we're going to start, as you know, at first base. But normally you'd count up like, ooh, the number five guy, the number four guy, and then dun, 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 number one. But we already, I think, will agree on number one. I don't think there's any doubt about number one, and I think the debate will come as we go down the list. So let's let's start. You can do number one, and I'll I will agree with you. I'm sure, even though we didn't even talk about this yet. Um, and then from there, we'll we'll walk down the list to see who you have and who I have as the top five first basemen in Yankees history. So starting at the top, number one is Mr. Gehrig, Lou Gehrig.
0: Um, you know, Luke Ge- yeah, Luke Garrick is my favorite Yankee historical player, and that's not why I I say he's the number one. I mean just yeah he he is a legend um hall of famer in every sense of the word. uh yeah, he is number one.
1: Listen to Gehrig's lifetime stats. He hit 340. He hit four ninety three home runs. And he had 1,995 RBIs. Out of the guys on my list, there's only one other guy that even had a 300 batting average. None of them, as Yankees, even hit 225 home runs. He hit 493. Only one of them had even a uh, 1,000 RBIs. And, you know, of course, the story of Lou Gehrig transcends baseball. I love to tell the story of when I'm talking to students about Lou Gehrig and he, he, he gets ALS of course, and the Yankees honor him with a big day at Yankee stadium. And I just think it's human nature for most people in a situation like that chopped down in the prime of his career um, to still bemoan This fact that, that look what happened to me, how terrible it is. And instead of mm-hmm. saying that he delivers this address and he says that he's the luckiest man on the face of the earth and that he might've been given a bad break. But he has an awful lot to live for. I mean, that's God forbid any of us get sick. But if it ever happens, that's that's the attitude. I hope I have. I don't know if I will. I, 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 you know, I think there's a lot of like, look what happened to me, and we feel bad about it, and rightfully so. But he somehow overcame that. And just, I agree with you. Um, one of my all-time favorite Yankees. So, who, who do you have as number two? My number two, and it's probably not a, a surprise, is a Don Mattingly.
0: Uh, and, and, I think you and I grew up at roughly the same time, Paul. And I mean, Don Mattingly was, was my favorite ball player when I was younger. And, uh, for those years from 1984, 1985, 1986, he was putting up Gehrig-esque stats. And, um, I still remember that 1984 patent title. I still, you know, the, uh, uh, that battle between him and Dave Winfield. I still remember the 1985 Yankees who I thought were actually going to win it, you know, just shy. And you had him behind Ricky Henderson and just how potent that was. And um, also, you know, another thing about Mattingly was just watching him continue to go out there and play hard, even when his body you know, started, you know, started to um, defy him. And, uh, and so many, Of of the core folks on the Yankee World Series teams from 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, they all say, you know, how did you learn, you know, this this team-first mentality, this grind-it mentality, this, you know, win-or-nothing, how did you, you know, where did you learn that? And so many go back to a Mattingly. And, uh, you know, even after he was gone, he had a profound impact on the team.
1: One of my favorite Don Mattingly moments came, I believe it was 2004. The only time I ever went to spring training and I was sitting in, uh, you know, the, the field, what's it called? Steinbrenner field or whatever. And, um, I think back then I might've been called legends park. Is that possible? Um, yeah, and yeah. as the Yankees are coming out and all the great young Yankees are playing, Mattingly was out there on the field, having a catch with somebody. And I hadn't seen Mattingly have a catch in probably 10 or 12 or so many years. And it was just awesome to see Don Mattingly, Donnie Baseball. Yeah, he was bigger than life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first Yankees I grew up watching, Munson, Nettles, Reggie, Roy White, Willie Randolph, those guys were gods. But then you grow out of that. You get a little older. You get into high school. You start going into college. And the fact that Mattingly, for so many people our age could still be that godlike figure as a baseball player, even as we, I don't know, you want to say got older and knew better, that we still held him in such reverence, I think speaks so highly of him.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Definitely. Um, I agree. He's number two, the only other guy with a 300 batting average, and the only other guy with over 1,000 RBIs. And these are all just Yankee stats. Um, So this is where it gets fun, because I think there's probably – I have five guys – who I would have to pick through to get to the final three. So this is where we might have some debate. Mr. Whiteman, who's number three, the third greatest Yankee first baseman of all time? I have chosen Bill Scowron, Moose Scowron. You don't hear a lot
0: about Moose because he played, you know, he had some pretty famous teammates. You know, guys like Mantle, guys like Mara. I mean, am Barrett. Guys like Whitey Ford. Um, but he was a really solid player. And, you know, he, his OPS plus was 129, which meant that he was almost 30% better in offensive performance than the average player. And, yeah, he was a five-time all-star. Uh, he was excellent in the postseason. The only knock against Scowron was that he, he he dealt with some injuries, and so his stats were not the gaudy, the 30 home runs, the 100 RBIs. You know, he didn't have those stats between some injuries and the fact that he played for Casey Stengel uh, for a number of those years. And you know, Casey would you know he was always tweaking the lineup, always platooning. And so, you know, maybe if it was a certain right-hander, you know, someone like Joe Collins might be going out there to play first base. Um, and so, you know, with the exception of guys like Barra and Mantle, you didn't always have a lot of everyday players. You had a lot of moving parts that, of course, you know, Stengel uh, manipulated so well. But I I really, you know, looking back and, and, and doing some research, you know, I, I – I really feel like Scowron was, was an excellent player. Had he played somewhere else and gotten 150, 155 games a year,
1: I think he'd a lot better stats. I agree with you again. Here's interesting. Garrick played as a Yankee for 17 years. Mattingly played as a Yankee for 14 years. The next guy on that list, is, if you just want to go by years, is Moose Scowron, who was a Yankee in nine different seasons. 294 lifetime batting average. He had 165 homers. He had 672 RBIs. And again, these other guys on my list surpassed some of those numbers, but nobody hit as high as 294. And his war, baseball reference war, is higher than all the rest of the guys, too, at 23.7. So Gehrig was 113.6, Mattingly 42.4, and the third highest is 23.7 oh, I want to put another name here just because I have a feeling he's going to be off of our list, but he deserves a mention. All right, this is where it gets real exciting. I don't think we're going to agree anymore, but we might. Who knows? Number four. Tino Martinez. Uh,
0: t- and I I think with Tino, I mean, he, he had good stats. If you take a look at his stats, they oh, were, they were I, very good. Yeah, maybe not great, but they were very good. Um, he was just an excellent, excellent uh, piece to those late 90s championship seasons. And again, there were so many very good players who weren't stars, but they just they were just grinders and they were team first guys. And Tino was one of them. Good left-handed power, good fielding uh there are two home runs that I will always remember, and one is the grand slam in the first game of the 1998 World Series when he had been struggling so much in the uh, in the postseason, and second is the iconic um, home run in the 2001 uh, World Series um, against Arizona, um, and I, I can still remember jumping and screaming uh, when that happened. So I, yeah, I. I uh, and all that in the shadow of Don Mattingly, and so I, yeah, so I, I, I have a lot of um, respect for uh, Tino's work.
1: Now, uh, Mac threw up the name Wally Pip. Wally Pip actually had a lifetime WAR higher than Moose Scourin. in my book. The least among them, you can see it over my shoulder. We always mm-hmm. talk about how Good we put things backwards, right? Like because the screen's backwards from the way we look but um i have a chapter in there about wally pip and the fact that he gets a bad rap for having the supposed headache and sits down he'd actually been beamed and he tried to play through all that um he was a tough guy here's a great trivia question Who is the first yankee to lead the american league in home runs in consecutive seasons that would be wally pip That is Wally Pip. That is correct. Uh, Wally Pip was actually a, a great, great ball player. He wasn't on my list. Um, but, uh, because I, I was, uh, to be honest, I, I, I forgot about him as we were doing this lifetime, 282 batting average. He hit only, I'm putting parentheses only, uh, 80 home runs, but this wasn't the days when they hit a lot of home runs, but he still drove home 833 RBIs. And, uh, he was also, I believe, an exceptional fielder. And he was the Yankee first baseman when the Yankees first came to prominence. So Wally Pup, Pip would have. Base. Now on my end, we're having some technical difficulties. I don't know if you're having the same on your end, jumping in and out. The weather um, in this area is not great. But um my fourth guy was just like you, Tino Martinez. And so we get to pick the fifth guy. Who do, you, who do you got? Well, Paul, my fifth guy was Wally Pip. Oh, look at you. Nice. That's Wally nice. Pipp. Yeah, you know, from
0: 1921 to 1923, like you said, that was when the Yankees became the Yankees. And so they won the pennant in 21-22. They won the world championship in 23. Wally Pip averaged 102 RBIs each season. And like you said, he was an excellent fielder. Uh just a good solid player. So so yeah, he was my number five guy.
1: Interesting. I left him off my list. I think I was letting sentimentality override logic. I think your list is a better list. I think if your five played my five, you might win because I think Wally Pip was the um was the guy who, who should have been on both lists. And I'm I'm sad I missed him. Um let me talk about a couple of guys I didn't pick. And then you'll probably be able to pick the guy I did pick. Hal Chase was a great Yankee, a great, great ball player in the early uh, 20th century. Um, Some people say he might still be the greatest defensive first baseman who ever lived. But Hal Chase, who did have a couple of good years batting, um, was also or at least the reputation nowadays is that he was involved in gambling and fixing games and stuff like that. And he didn't get to stick around on teams and he bounced around, et cetera, et cetera. And I think in one of Bill James's books, he calls him one of the least likable players in the history of baseball. So he didn't make my list for those reasons. The other guys who didn't make my list, Mark Teixeira Mm -hmm. who had a pretty good career and he actually had a higher war than the guy I picked. But, yeah, I just couldn't do it. I, to share, I was so excited when the Yankees got him, but he was a disappointment in the end. It just seemed like it was not quite as great as I hoped it could be. I loved him, but, and then he had Jason a great, Giambi, similarly. Yeah, go yeah. on.
0: Yeah, he had a great, I think, first couple of years to cheer up. And then, you know, struggled a bit, uh, had some health problems, uh, came on a little bit towards the end, but, Yeah, I I think what we were expecting from Deshira and and
1: and what we got, I think were were two different things. And I and similarly with Jason Giambi and when Giambi became a Yankee, um, you know the steroid thing blew up and the outrage was ginormous. And you know I'm raising my little boys and I'm trying to teach them the right thing, and now all of a sudden there's all these Yankees who are doing steroids or accused of steroids. And it was just rough, and I—I I, uh, that soured me on him. Even though, you know, it was prevalent in the game, I, I didn't like the fact that this was prevalent in the game. Um, so my number five guy was the first baseman of my childhood, Chris Chambliss, who hit probably, well, not even probably, one of the most dramatic home runs in Yankee history when he sent the Yankees to the World Series in 76. He played for the Yankees for seven years. He had a 282 lifetime batting average. 79 homers, 454 ribbies. I think the Yankees expected him to be more of a power hitter, but he was a clutch ball player and a quiet leader on a team that, you know, they're with a lot of big personalities. And I don't think the 76, 77, 70 Yankees, 78 Yankees would have been as good if they didn't have guys like Chris Chambliss, Willie Randolph, Roy White, Ron Guidry, some quiet, good human being people to, you know, be the um, ying to the other yang or whatever uh, on the other side with the controversy and the other big personality. So
0: did I pick wrong with Chambliss? Yeah, I think Chambliss, I, I think there's a lot of consistencies between the type of player he was and the type of player that uh, Martinez was about 20 years later. Uh, The stats are a little different. I think that's probably because in the '70s the stats weren't quite as jacked up as they were in the '90s. But I think there's a lot of consistency of consistencies between the two between Martinez and Chambliss. I just think that Martinez stuck around maybe a little bit longer. You know, the Yankees traded Chambliss. I think after 1979, if I'm correct. Um, But I have no issue at
1: all with Chambliss. He was he was a
0: good solid. Good, solid player. Good Yankee.
1: Yeah, great, great, great Yankee. And uh, so, so Mac put his picks up. The difference between his pick and your pick is he had Chambliss rather than Martinez. And the difference between his pick and my pick is he had Pip instead of Martinez. So good stuff there. We're running out of time, but I wanted to just touch upon this. The Cincinnati Reds are terrible. And, you know, sometimes when there's a team that's that terrible, you start to look if you're the Yankees and say, do they have any pieces that the Yankees could use maybe at the trade deadline to help them secure or best possibly secure a a trip to the postseason and hopefully a world championship. So Brian Cashman calls you up, uh, Mike, and he brings you into his office because you are his number one advisor. And he says, I want you to tell me which guy in the Reds we should acquire. Who would it be?
0: Well, you know, if, if I had my, you know, had my choice, you know, the, the Reds have an excellent young catcher and that's uh, Tyler Stevenson, uh, but the Reds aren't trading Tyler Stevenson. And so when you take a look at the pieces that might be available, uh, who could help, um, I, and as you're thinking about the areas of concern with the Yankees right now, you know, certain, I, I think somewhat about the outfield and if Gallo is playing better. Uh, but we had some concerns. There's certainly some concerns about Aaron Hicks and uh, what his performance will be like for the season. So I think a guy like Tommy Pham uh, may be a, a decent pickup. Uh, he could play left field. He could probably fake it in a center field. You know, or you know, Judge can move over to center field. So I I think he would be a guy who could maybe help. Probably not cost a whole lot. I think someone like him might be good, and then any time you during the season, uh, you're always looking for pitching. You can never, get you know, The old adage is you can never have too much pitching. You can never have too much pitching. And there's a fella in the uh, in the Cincinnati Reds pen who the Yankees have some familiarity with, and that would be uh, Luis Sessa, and uh, Sessa, and you know he's he he has some versatility to him. He pitched well for the Yankees. I. I think the only reason why the Yankees traded him was, believe it or not, salary reasons. And you know, that's, that seems very strange to hear coming from my mouth, that, that the Yankees traded someone to reduce salary. But that was why they traded Cecil last year. And uh, he's, had, you know, he had, he had, he's had a 2.63 earn, earn run average since he uh, left the Yankees. So I think he certainly would be fine to uh, put in the Yankee pen. Uh, but there's not a lot there. And that's logical because the Reds, you know, really stink. So <laughs> you don't necessarily want a lot of folks from the Reds uh, on, 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 your, on your team when you, uh, when you have the best record in all of baseball.
1: Great, great, great analysis. The only guy I picked there was Tyler Stevenson. And I wanted to see what – let's say the Reds said, you know what, by the time we get good again, he's going to be too old. Um, Make us a great offer What Mm -hmm. would you give up If you're the Yankees You have some of these Great young players Or whatever They say Well you get one shot This is like It's like Let's make a deal With that old Monty Hall show Or whatever Mm -hmm. You don't get You don't get a chance To revisit the deal You get to say This is what we'll give you If they like it They'll take it And if they don't like it You don't get Tyler Stevenson So what would you give up To get him Well you're going to have to start With one of the Really good shortstop prospects So you're going to have to start
0: with either a Peraza or also a Volpe. Um, And then probably I think you're going to have to give a couple of real high-end arms, I think, for him. And um, I think someone who would be close to major league ready at all as as well. And so you might have to think about dealing like a Mike King or someone like that, I think, to get uh, Stevenson. Uh, so I, I think it, it would be it would be a, a, a painful deal for the Yankees
1: to get him. All right. So the, the the you if you're um on the other end, the Reds call the Yankees. Brian Cashman calls you and he says, listen, they're gonna give us Stevenson. He's hitting 324, he's 25 years old. There aren't a whole lot of good catchers out there. They want Volpe, they want Michael King, and they want um. Hmm, somebody uh, let's say Glaber Torres and Luis Heel or something like that those four guys you going to pull the trigger or are you going to let them go talk to
0: me in talk to me in the off season. i'm not sure i would do it during the year i'm not sure i'd do it during the year but uh, you good know talk to me during the offseason. talk to me during the off season, season cuz you know i mean yeah he has you know he's he certainly looks like he's going to be a good catcher for a long time but uh, you know drop Dropped him in during the middle of the season. You know, one thing: the Yankee catching is not really hitting the ball at all. Uh, even though Jose um, Trevino,
1: I, I I had checked, had a home run tonight, uh, and uh, the Yankees just had back to back shots. Donaldson and Rizzo. Oh, okay. It's the okay. ninth nice. inning right now in in, in uh, Baltimore. It's six to one. Yankees are on their way to their twenty sixth victory of the year.
0: Yeah, no, I I would be reluctant, even though the offense is pretty bad right now. I'd be reluctant to mess with it right now, just because Mm -hmm. the Yankee pitching is just doing so well, you know, do you bring in somebody that they don't know? And, and then, you know, kind of upset any type of chemistry
1: you have going. I, I, I agree with you again. Hey, what happened on this day in Yankee history?
0: Well, on this day in Yankee history in 1957, was the infamous Copacabana fight and so the Copacabana fight was when a number of Yankees and I don't and I, I I may be a bit sketchy on the details but a number of Yankees went to the Copa which was evidently a pretty hop and nightclub the a place to be where a lot of celebrities hung out and the Yankees got into a, a into a fight. And so the Yankees gone there. Were folks like Mantle and Whitey Ford and Hank Bauer and Billy Martin got into a fight. And in the end, uh, many say that resulted in the Yankees trading Billy Martin,
1: uh, to, uh, I believe it was the Kansas city athletics. After that. How, how would you possibly know that that happened yeah. on this day in Yankee history?
0: Oh, well, you know, um, I would like to say that I just have all this memory in here, but I would I would not be honest. And I picked up a great on Amazon and called "This Day in Yankees History." And if you read by my uh, blog post, I really like to interweave the current reporting with Yankees history because I just love Yankee history. And so I always start my posts with a this day in Yankee history. And
1: And, um, which makes them which makes them so good. Mike, I think you're the first person ever on the history of this podcast, maybe on any Yankee podcast. You said this a couple uh, 30 minutes ago or so, but you mentioned Joe Collins who was a backup first baseman uh, who split time at Moose way back in the fifties and was a really good first baseman, another great defensive player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your Yankees history, which is always what makes it so fun to talk to you um, either on this program or just when we get together and talk, you're a great guy. Thank you for pinch hitting for EJ at the last moment. And thank you for helping carry me through this hour. I can't believe my voice lasted this long, but at this point, my dear friends, we're going to wrap this up. Remember every Monday night to watch Gloved Fist at 7 p.m., but then we used to be the number one show that they, till they took us over. So it's important to keep spreading the news about Start Spreading the News. Have a great night, everyone. The question is, how long can we sit here without moving?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Homeworks by Donaldson
1: and Rizzo. Back to back. There we go. Have Uh, a great night, everyone.